Amen. God is good. God is here. God is working. He's speaking. He's transforming. And I'm so glad we're all here together. Amen. Welcome to our online audience, too. Those who are watching us, we're glad you've joined in with us. So I brought something from home. Yeah, pretty attractive, right? This is all Adam's fault. Adam's not the guy who put a fence in for me a long time ago. Adam was the first man. Adam was placed into a world that was full of life. Adam was in a world where there was no sickness, death, disease, or decay. But when Adam sinned, a new law came into place for entire, the entire creation, the law of sin and death. And from that point forward, everything began a process of decay. This is not what this board looked like when it was purchased however many years back. It was at our house when we moved into it. It was part of a fence, so I'm imagining it was probably six feet tall. It's been in our backyard ever since. But you can see what's happened to it. It has faced some weather. It's faced some uh, sitting in the dirt, some bugs and all that kind of stuff all over it. But it has faced some decay because this is what all living things now operate under. You and I are operating and living under the law of decay in our lives, right? Hello, right? Yeah, we're all in this place of um, getting older and with that age comes some more weakness and eventually comes a time of death. That was not how God originally designed life. That is a result of sin upon the earth. Everything is in decay. Until Jesus came. Jesus came and he said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundant. I have come to put in play a new law, a new way, a new principle. I'm going to set this down because my hands are getting all dirty and decayed. Hold it. <clears throat> Jesus said that he had come to give life and give it more abundant and that those who call upon him, those who would follow him, would be born again. A new life would begin and this new life would not have decay to it. It would have maturity to it, but this new life would spiral upwards in maturity and strength and hope and power and joy and peace ever increasing. Amen? The opposite of the law of sin and death. So the apostle Paul said it like this in Romans 8 verse 2. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in 
Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So that while I'm in my flesh, this body part of me, it may age and it will. It will become weaker over time. It will eventually die. But oh, there's a new person inside me. And he is not decaying. In fact, he is on an upward track. He is being conformed to the very image of Christ. And he is increasing in maturity and wisdom and hope and peace and love. And we are changing in that if, if, huge conditional if here. If you are willing to do the one thing that many Christians find it very difficult to do, change. It's a funny thing about us as Christians. We go to our churches and we talk about God and we talk about how he redeems our life and we talk about how he makes all things new and he makes us a new person in Jesus Christ and we sing about his glory and sing about his grace and we talk about how good he is. But the minute someone suggests change, we all panic. We all get a little nervous. We all get a little concerned because we kind of like our traditions. Feeling uncomfortable yet? I get it. I am a traditional guy. I like stuff the same to some degree. But, and let me just say this up front. We will, as a church, always hold to the unchangeable things of God. We are called to hold to the unchangeable word of God. We are called to stay with the foundation that there is salvation in Jesus Christ alone and no other. That there is salvation by his grace, his grace through our faith alone and none other. But in the process, along the way, from being born again to walking as a maturing believer, there has to to be change. Now, we've been using a, a model here, and I'm going to switch up the, the picture just a little bit today. We've been looking at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So let's check out this, this verse here to set our stage today. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. If you want to turn your Bible, uh, we've been there for a couple of weeks. Here's what the first part of that verse says. Now, may the God of peace himself the God who has come to give you peace and make peace and has made peace with you through Jesus Christ. May he sanctify you, set you apart, mature you, grow you, make you holy completely. Paul's praying this for his, the people there in that church. He said, may God continue to do the work in your life of sanctifying you. And may it be complete. May it not just be you know, it happened a long time ago and I made a few changes back then, but since then, I really hadn't changed a lick. No, may he sanctify you completely, all of you, not just the front room of your house, but every room in the house, every closet, room in the basement, that room you don't go in in your life, all, every bit of it, sanctify you completely. And then he gives us this description in the second part of the verse. He says this, and may your whole spirit soul, and body 
be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul uses this picture of spirit, soul, and body. And we've used that over the past few weeks to understand what God is doing in our life. So uh, I'm going to use a little bit different metaphor today. I've used circles. I think it's a pretty easy transition over here to cylinders, okay? So if you're following along, you're taking notes, help yourself. If you need to take some pictures along the way, help yourself. That won't bother me a bit. So let's talk about the person who is a new believer, who has uh, the spirit of God within them. They have uh, their soul and then they have their body. So let's do this. Let's put a few titles up here. Spirit, soul, and body. Woo. See the three parts here? This part of the cylinder, this part of the cylinder, and this part of the cylinder. So we said our soul was our mind, our emotions, and our will. This is the part that's being transformed right now in our lives. Our spirit has been redeemed already, and you and I have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Amen? That's how I can be called righteous and blameless by him in my spirit and not yet fully comprehend what that means in my soul. Hello? Yeah? And so the spirit of God is pouring into us. Didn't mean to make a vertical V. The spirit of God is pouring into us so that he transforms our soul. He's pouring in, he's speaking, he's giving life, he's calling us, transforming our mind, will, and emotions. And that's what he calls us to. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12, he said, um, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove. You back up. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God is in the process of moving us forward to become more like his son. Amen? He's doing that work. He really doesn't need your permission to do it. He's doing it. And so you and I can either cooperate with the change or we can resist the change. But he's doing it regardless. Are you with me? Now, this part right here is where you and I have to learn to yield to him. I have to take my thoughts, my own emotions, and my will, my choices, my desires, and let him drive them. I don't use them to determine if his will is right. I use them to submit to his will, right? Those are two very, very different things. And so by allowing his spirit into my soul, then it begins to conform my body so that I choose to do things with my activities that reflect what his spirit is doing in me, right? And so what's key then at this point is to expand my capacity to know and understand God. It's not just adding activity. 
it's adding capacity to my life. It's expanding so that I don't just have a little bitty bit of the Spirit of God within me. Hello? Not just a little bitty bit of knowledge of God's Word or a little bitty bit of, uh, of my understanding of salvation. But no, I have this growing capacity. So let me, let me write some things up here that are the areas that you and I have to expand and let him into if you want to have more capacity to know God. So the things that are part of our soul are, number one, our hurts. Man, we've all had things done to us that we would have never desired, never asked for, and they hurt. They hurt emotionally. They weigh on us. They're difficult. They're painful. They're things we can't even comprehend with our mind and we really want to act out with with our will against people. We want to act out in revenge against them, right? But the Spirit of God calls us to allow him into the area of our hurts. He has a purpose for that. But that means an intentional allowing him to walk into those areas. To say, God, this part right here in my life, it hurts. My dad said this to me. My mother said this to me. Some friends treated me this way. They may even be secret things that you've never told anyone about. And they have been locked away as hurts. And one of the things that God calls us to do to expand our capacity is to allow him to walk right up into those hurts and to begin the process of healing in those areas. Amen? The second area that's part of our soul that we need to allow him into are areas of our sins, things that we have done, that we have intentionally done, or even unintentionally done, but then recognized we were the ones who failed. Now, he's taking care of our sin in Christ whenever we were born again, but there's stuff that you and I from time to time still do, and he wants to walk into those areas and free us Jesus said he had come to set the captives free. Jesus said he had come to um, give the oil of joy where there has been mourning, sadness, and sorrow. That he had come to bring grace into the very areas where there had been sin so that grace might abound. So that our focus from that point forward is no longer on those sins but instead on his forgiveness and his grace in the midst of those sins. Amen? But this means I've got to allow him to walk into those areas. A third area that we have to allow him into is areas of conflict in our life. The spaces where there's been relationships that have been broken, where there's been tension, and it still is, where there's broken relationships where there's conflict. Maybe it's relational conflict. Maybe it's even conflict in our own mind where we can't yet reconcile what's happened in my life with what God says he's going to do and it's, it's got this tension point inside my head. It's almost like it gives me a headache, like a tension headache. Hello? You know what I'm talking about? 
And Jesus wants to walk into your areas where there's been conflict, tension, unrest, and bring peace there so that he might settle the storm, calm the restless waves, and bring hope into that area of conflict. But he also wants to come into our area of independence. It's funny how you and I are. We like to do things on our own. I got this. I don't need anybody else's help. But God says, you know, I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. And so part of this expanding our capacity to know God means I got to come to the place where I'm willing to let him have control and stop being so arrogantly stuffy. Hello? And independent. That good old mindset that says, I got this. I don't need your help right now, God. I'll try this on my own. If I need you, I'll call you. I don't need anybody else's help around me. If I need you, I'll call you. That spirit of independence will keep your spiritual capacity about the size of a soda straw. It's true. The more you keep thinking, I've got to figure this out. I've got to do this. I can't let anybody see me struggle. I can't let anybody see me sweat. You're just going to stay a soda straw when God's calling you to be a massive pipeline to take in his capacity. It starts by letting him have control and give up your independence. Another area that we have to allow him into is very similar, but it's selfishness. It's a little different in that Selfishness makes everything all about me. You walk into a situation, and whereas you should have eyes and ears and a heart of concern for other people in that moment, all you can think about is yourself. All you can think about is what makes you comfortable, what makes life easier for you, what would be best for you, want to protect your image, want to defend your name, want to justify what you're doing, and you want to just make it all about you. And Jesus said, I've come to, I've come to free from all that. Because <sighs> that'll also keep you like a soda straw. You'll keep your capacity down so tiny and tight that you get into spiritual moments like this one and there's just nothing coming in because all you can think about is you. Number six on our list is our confusion. Man, life just gets all wacky and confusing. That's part of our natural experience, our soul and that is not what you and I have been called to in Jesus Christ. You have not been called to confusion, to disorder, to disarray. That's part of the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus gives me clarity, gives me certainty, 
gives me courage, gives me boldness so I can see through situations. I can see what God is doing. I can see where the enemy is at work, and I see clearly, and I'm not given over to confusion and despair and concern and my mind out of control and racing thoughts and anxiety and all that stuff. I can say that again because I've been there. Amen? This is what Jesus said he'd come to free us from. And a lot of this all exists within us, in our own mind, will, and emotions. Can we just all say amen to that? Because that's true. Amen, right? Nobody in here is excluded from all this stuff. This is all inside you and I. It's the very stuff, though, that Jesus came to free us from. And the way he does that is not by just calling you to more activity. I'm just going to try to make it to church more often. I'm just going to try to give more money. You know, that can be helpful. But activity without capacity makes you no more than a Pharisee. Because you're just doing stuff without any heart inside. So here's what, here's what God is looking to do in us. To take this work of the Spirit that he is pouring into us. He is speaking through his word. He is giving life. And his intention is that this Spirit Fill our spirit. And our capacity goes from being here to here. So now I have this great capacity for knowing God, knowing his ways, sensing his presence, being aware of his work, and my soul, my mind, will, and emotions all take a much smaller place And my body, for sure, I call it into place as well. Body, you don't get to drive anymore. You don't get to control me. You and all your urges and all your self-protection, I'm going to put you in place. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to serve. I'm going to get up early, stay up late. I'm going to do whatever I can to tell you, "Uh uh-uh, back seat. Your body You come last. Me, I'm spirit. This is who I am in Jesus Christ. This is who drives. Amen? The new you drives. And your mind, will, and emotions all now conform to this capacity that is all of a sudden much larger than this capacity. And when that happens, when you allow him and his capacity to come in and fill you and continue to shape your soul, then some things happen. Here's some things that happen. For your hurts, instead, there is healing. Jesus takes those very areas where you have been hurt, and he brings healing out of them. And those places actually become the places of his greatest ministry through you. Someone told me that years ago, and it really irritated me, that God's greatest strength was going to be in my weaknesses. I thought, no, I want it to be out of my strengths, because out of my weaknesses sounds way uncomfortable. That means I got to tell some other people where I'm weak. 
God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Yeah, that's what happens. So when I allow him into my hurts and allow him to start healing and allow him to start showing me what his purpose is, then I end up with a story kind of like Joseph in the Old Testament. After he is betrayed by his brothers, sold off into slavery, just one hell hole after another that he has to live in in all difficult times. God exalts him at a latter point, and at the end of that time, Joseph himself says to the ones who hurt him the most, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God brings purpose out of it. So it brings healing and also brings great honesty. I'm just going to put number one here to represent this one over here if you're taking notes and following along because that's what God does into those areas. He expands the capacity of our spirit to be healed and to learn to be honest. And then into our sins, he brings great forgiveness. He says, I have taken your sins and I have removed them from you as far as the east is from the west. They have been paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ. He took all of the blame. He took all of the judgment that your sin deserved. And he now releases and forgives you of that completely. And so it's so destructive for us to walk around still trying to beat ourselves up for our sin when Jesus has already taken that beating. And you trying to beat yourself up about your sin is you saying, that wasn't enough. I still got to do some more. But when you allow him to take what he's already done, the full punishment and judgment for your sin, and you stop playing the tape, you stop repeating what you've done, you stop feeling like you've got to somehow repay it, and you just humble yourself and you receive the full forgiveness of that, he transforms your soul. And those places of your greatest sin become the places of his greatest glory as he works through you. Amen? And even brings you to a place, let me get my notes right here, of even great self-control. You start walking in the spirit of who you are in Christ and you start having victory over the old flesh. He does something new in you. And he starts expanding your capacity so that you're no longer the one who's just a slave to your sin. You actually become more than a conqueror over your sin. You and I ought to be on a fast track that's moving us to places where we're struggling with sin less than we ever have. I'm just going to say that one more time because this is where modern church has missed this. It's almost as though we've gotten comfortable and complacent in this idea that we just come to church with this understanding, well, you know, we're just all sinners here. You know, we all got our sins we deal with. Well, let's just all talk about our sins so we can at least feel better about our sins. And when somebody else got some sins too, let's just talk about how bad all that is. I've been in some church settings like that. And at first you think, oh, this is cool. But at the end of it, you think, this is stupid. Hello? We're all talking about how terrible we all are and that's somehow supposed to make us all feel better? If you hearing about how terrible someone else is makes you feel better, there's something wrong with you? We have been shown grace in Jesus Christ and called to a life that leads us to more peace, more love, more hope, more victory over our sin. That's what we've been called to in him. And it comes through expanding our capacity. 
So for the areas of conflict in our life, God says, I'm going to bring great peace into your life. I'm going to settle the waves. I'm going to settle the conflict. You may still be walking through the mess, but he's working all things together for good, even though they might not be good in the moment. Hello? He'll give you peace in the midst of that storm, and he'll even give you great love in the process. Love for him, love for other people. He'll expand the capacity of your heart, and you will see him in a different way. You'll be overwhelmed more in his love than you are in your circumstances. In the place of independence, he'll do a new thing in you and expand your capacity where you start learning how to trust. Where you start saying, God, I don't know what to do next, but I'm going to trust you with the next. I yield myself to you. I give myself to you. And I trust you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. As you trust, as you learn to trust, you're expanding your capacity and then you even get to this place of great vulnerability. This is another one of those that Christians just get uncomfortable with. It's just uncomfortable being vulnerable. We've come out of a couple of decades of church where it seemed like the thing to do was to come to church and put on your best front and let everybody know, hey, how's it going? Ah, oh, praise God. Hey, man, hallelujah. Let's sing some songs. God is good. Hey, man. You know, all that stuff. And you walk out the door, it's like, well, back to crappy life now. Let's go. That is how a lot of Christians live. And God says, look, you're going to have to get honest with me and vulnerable with me so that I can heal what's going on in your life. I want to bring an end to all that stuff so that there'll be a consistency about you. And church becomes this place where I'm not putting on, I'm not pretending, I'm not faking it until I make it, I'm having all faith until he provides it and I'm walking in obedience and sometimes I might walk in and I don't feel like smiling. And guess what? I'm not going to smile. I'm going to be honest in that moment and say, pray for me. I'm, I'm struggling right now. This becomes more of a New Testament environment church than some pretentious put on version of church. Amen? And then into the area of our own selfishness, God does an even deeper work where he calls us into great intimacy with him. Where he calls us to peel aside everything that we've used to cover us, everything that we've used to hide our shame and we expose ourselves completely to him because that's what he's done for us. Fully exposed his heart through his son, Jesus Christ. And we come into this place of great intimacy with him. The book of Hebrews says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace 
and there find help in our time of need. I don't have to pretend, put on. I can come open, open-faced, open heart, open life. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And I come into this place of brand new intimacy with God, a freshness in my walk with him. And even great sensitivity to him. This is where you start maturing in the spirit of God and you recognize all of a sudden, wait a minute, I sense God in this place. I sense God speaking to me. I sense God speaking to me when I read his word, when I pray, when I sing. I sense him leading me in my life. And this new sensitivity and awareness comes alive as you expand your capacity and you let him into all of these areas. This is real life stuff. This is as real as it gets. Because when you allow the spirit into these areas of your life, these begin to be the results that come from it. And finally, into our confusion, God begins to give great insight and vision. God begins to unlock understanding for us. You read his word, all of a sudden, stuff just starts leaping off the page. Stuff just speaks to your life, and all of a sudden, things begin to click, and you get this clarity and insight into what God's doing in your life and around you, and you can Walk in that. And then you get a vision for what's ahead. And you start living with joy in that moment. And you start living with this excitement that God is in me. God is working for me on my behalf. He's conforming to the image of Christ. He's working all this. And he's expanding my capacity to sense him. I have this great awareness of him. I I don't have this tiny capacity anymore. I have this great capacity to take him into my life. Amen? This is what he invites us to. Now, let me just make one more application for our third cylinder over here. (sighs) Because this, as beautiful and wonderful as it is, was never meant to be kept isolated. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to overflow from us. In our friendships, in a church, but in one place I want to draw attention to today, and that is marriage. Because God intends for a man and a woman to experience this same level of life, spirit, soul, and body, and for them together as in a Christian marriage to be mighty in spirit together. Listen to me. Sex is beautiful, but if this and this is your only version of intimacy, I already know you're not satisfied. Because physical sex alone is not intimacy. It's okay to say amen about sex in church. 
God created it. Hello? I'm not going to be shy about that, not going to refrain from that. I will be appropriate in how I talk. But if God created it, it's time we understand why he created it, how he created it, and what the purpose is. Amen? If you are trying to just somehow match in your marriage your soul experiences of your mind, will, and emotions, if somehow you're trying to just feel good together, if you don't have the right emotional feelings toward this other person, if you somehow are trying to get them to think like you or you want to think all the same thoughts together or you want to have the same will together to do the same things, that'll get you so far but it won't get you to true intimacy because true intimacy happens when there is a oneness of spirit amongst all of these areas, spirit to spirit. So look here. When you, between a husband and wife, are experiencing into the hurts that you've experienced, the ability to know God's healing and to know and be able to help heal one another from your wounds and to be honest with one another in those times and speak truth openly to your spirit and your spirit be open to receive that, this is real intimacy at this point. This is where you begin to experience real life together. But it is sad the number of Christian couples who really can't even make it past level one right here. Christian couples experience great intimacy when they express forgiveness with one another and self-control with one another for the hurts that they have had even from the other person, that they apply the forgiveness of Christ to that person and they communicate that and they share that with one another and the other receives it and the other one gives it and they receive it and they give it back and forth as the new rhythm for their marriage. That produces intimacy in a marriage. When there is peace in a marriage and the conflict settled, there's no more barbs being taken at one another. There's no more jabs being taken. There's no more holding over past sins and poking one another with those things, reminding them of those things and using those to try to get your way and try to manipulate your way and try to get them to do what you want them to do because you hold them in guilt for what they've done. But instead, you release them from that and you bring peace into that marriage and you learn to serve one another and you learn to give love for one another, not expect love, but you give love. Then there becomes a new level of intimacy. Amen. Amen? In this marriage, there's trust. There's a willingness to open up and be vulnerable about areas of pain, conflict, deep emotional hurts, and a willingness to say, Here's where I'm hurting. Here's what I need. That instead of, you sorry ass. You always, what's your fault? We always, if that's your, if that's your method, I already know what your marriage is like. Trust vulnerability and intimacy and sensitivity. I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about a shared spirit of what God's doing in your life, praying together, discussing God's word together, worshiping together, 
and being in a place where your heart is open, full bare to that other person, nothing hidden. Before Adam fell, before Adam sinned, Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were naked and they were not ashamed. Everything was exposed, not just their physical body. Everything about who they were. And great sensitivity to one another. Sensitivity that says, I know what their weak points are. I know what hurts them. I know where they've been. And I will do whatever I must to see them not hurt again. Amen? And then finally, insight and vision. That where there's been confusion, God brings about new purpose, joy, delight, new hope for the future of what God has for them. So when God does this work of conforming us to the image of his son, it's so that his spirit will enter into all of these areas and produce all of these results. And if it's in the marriage that it begins to produce this lateral sharing back and forth. And if it's in a church, it's similar. And if it's in relationships, it's similar. And you might look at all this this morning and think, all right, I'm a little overwhelmed. Amen? I'm with you. It's a lot. But what God, what God wants to do is a lot. There is more. Remember, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is an upward incline of more that awaits you. I don't care if you're 18 or if you're 81 today. There is still that calling, not of condemnation, but of life in Christ Jesus that transforms and conforms you. And you might say, that sounds amazing. That sounds great for me. And it sounds almost impossible for my marriage. I get it. So what is it that gets us from here to here to here? It's the one thing that you and I have the most difficulty with. Change. Or what the Bible uses, the word repent. I've waited until now to tell you the name of the message today. It's not that I'm just now getting started. but I had to do a lot of setup for you to get the title. You were made for more change. Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.16, he said, we do not lose heart. We don't faint. We don't give up. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. 
That's God's intention. Day by day, increase. Day by day, transformation. Day by day, renewal. New thoughts, new emotions, new control, new peace, new insight. It's all new every day, a process of change. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says this, but we all with unveiled face, without a mask. I think we can all relate to that today. The mask off before God, the pretending off before God. I don't hide anymore, God, with unveiled face. I'm not hiding my face from you anymore, God. I'm not hiding my shame. I'm not hiding my pretending. I'm not hiding. I'm not hiding. I'm not hiding anymore, God, with unveiled face, beholding or looking as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. He says, here's what it's like for you and I. We now stand before Jesus and we're looking at him and he is like a mirror and we look at this mirror and we look and we see ourselves in the mirror and oddly, when I look in the mirror, I don't see Sinner, condemned, unclean, worthless, unloved, never going to get there. Instead, I see me and I see Jesus as though we are this one face. And as I look at it, as I keep beholding it, keep looking at it, it says I'm being transformed into that same image. The longer you look at it, the more it changes you. The minute you look away from it, it stops. But the more you look at it, it actually is changing you. And it says, into the same image, you start looking like Jesus. You start thinking like him, feeling like him in his own emotions, choosing like him, doing like him, living like him, and that becomes your focus. No longer are you all obsessed with, well, I'm just such a screw-up and loser. I'm never going to be enough. I mean, I'm just a sinner saved by... No, stop all that. Look in the mirror. That's not what it says. It's Jesus' face you see in the mirror. And when you look, it does something. It changes you from glory to glory. That's what the verse says. You're being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. That means you and I are on this upward track. It doesn't say from glory to glory. It's glory to glory. This is what you and I were intended for. This is what we've been made for in Jesus Christ. And God help us that we've reached a place in this day and this time where somehow we've gotten comfortable and complacent with just staying the same. Oh, God help us. That is not what we've been called to. He didn't say boring story to boring story. He said from glory to glory there ought to be 
within us. A fire that burns to change. To want to change and to do it. To do the hard things. Make the hard call. Not faking it, but faith in it all the way to the end. Because this is what the Spirit of the Lord is doing. Amen? This is what you and I are called to change. Now, it's interesting when you read the book of Revelation, it starts with a message to seven different churches. Three of those churches, well, God had some good things to say, but he also had some tough things to say to those churches. In three of them, he used this word, repent, because they had reached the place of complacent plateau. Here is what Revelation 3.19 says. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. In other words, I, in great love for them, I speak and I correct and I discipline them. He says, therefore, be zealous and repent. Be passionate to change. If you're looking for some rhyming words, write this down. Have some tenacity to increase your capacity. Really, that should be us. That should be us as the people of God. Not the ones who are so stubborn and so fixed that we refuse to change, but no, we're the ones who you see us today, and that's great, but you see me next week, and you see me different. I don't look the same. You see me two weeks from now, I'll be different again. You see me a month from now, mm -mm. a year from now, oh no, huh? You know, I used to feel bad because uh, I used to think, man, if the me today met me of 10 years ago, I don't even know if we'd like each other, you know, because I, I believe differently, I say things differently, I do things differently. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing because we're being moved from one level of glory to the next level of glory. And the last thing that should be said about us is someone walk up to us and say, well, <laughs> shoot fire, you had not changed a bit. <laughs> hey, if someone says that to you, first, smack them for saying shoot fire. So, <laughs> second, take that as a great insult that you hadn't changed, really? You still think the same as you did? You still see life the same way you did? You still see God the same way you did? He hadn't shown you anything, taught you anything, you hadn't learned anything, you hadn't changed in any way? Be zealous, repent, stop. It's time to stop all that stuff and repent. You and I are supposed to be in a place of being actively changing our capacity. And if there's something about us that's not changing in us, then there's something wrong with us to begin with. I hate to say it, but it's just true. 
if you're not changing, you've got to stop and consider where you are today. I'm sorry. If you're not changing, you've got to ask yourself, am I truly born again? Or have I been playing a religious game? Have I been thinking that church activity related somehow to spiritual capacity? You coming to church does not make you a believer in Jesus Christ. It may help you along the way, but that does not make you saved. You giving some money does not give you salvation. You praying does not give you salvation. You being good does not give you salvation. Repenting of your sin, coming to Jesus Christ and laying yourself out to be conformed to the image of his son is what renews your heart and gives you salvation. We've got to all stop and consider that. If you say, but I I did do that. It's a long time ago. Then I have this to say to you. You really need to stop and consider some things if there has been no change. If you're still stuck in all of this and you're not experiencing this, I'm just going to go one more step further. If your marriage is not moving toward this, something is not right. It's time to sit down and first of all, repent for not changing but two, to seek some help to change. Book of James has some startling words for us. I'm going to skip ahead. It says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. If you have a body and soul but no spirit, I'm sorry, you are dead. And in the same way, if you claim this but have no transformation by this, I don't know how to tell you, but you're dead. And it's time to repent. It's time to make things right. It's time to humble yourself before God. And say, God, I've been playing a game. I've been trying to impress you. And I had it all wrong. I'm dead inside. God, save me. The good news is, if you will say that, he will do that. He will rescue you. And he'll bring beauty from your ashes He'll bring joy from your mourning. He will do a new work in you, and he will do a new work in your marriage. I close with one more verse from Revelation. I told you there was a couple of times that it says in Revelation about repent. In Revelation 2.5, he's writing to a church, and he says, remember, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. 
or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus was saying to that church, look, stop playing your games. Get right with the Lord. If there was a day you were doing right and doing the right things and had a right heart, repent and get back to that. Because if you don't, he said, I'm going to remove your lampstand. What? The stand that held the light. I will remove your effectiveness, your influence, your ability to shed light in this world, the ability for you to even see the next step in front of you. I'll remove it all unless you repent. Hard words today. Good words today. Because the Lord calls us to something far more than just itty-bitty spiritual life, but instead great capacity to know him. Would you bow your heads? If you're like me, this message hits very close to home and has a great call to it and demand from it. My guess is you've probably already been having some conversations with the Lord. You've already been working through some things in your head and your heart. I'm glad because that's what the Lord is doing. He's calling. He's wanting you to respond. There's so much more he has for you. So much more he wants for you. But it's going to require your willingness, your willingness to let him step into those areas and bring the healing and bring the hope to admit your inability to humble yourself. One of the best ways to help make that happen is sometimes through an actual step. So this morning, I'm going to pray. When I finish, the band is going to sing. And we're going to make this altar here a place for us to gather to pray, to seek the Lord to repent and to walk in obedience. If you need to come with a friend, if you need to come with a spouse, if you need to come alone, you come. Don't miss the moment that the Lord is calling for you and I to turn, to repent, to change. Father, I thank you that you have come to give us life, life far greater than what we can even imagine. I thank you that you've made it possible even, but that the path comes through great humility, humbling ourselves, admitting fault and need to stop the blaming, stop the excusing, stop the justifying, and to truly humble ourselves before you. God, I would ask that you would do that for us as a church, that we might not be a place where you take away our influence, 
where you take away the lampstand, where we're no longer a light to the world. And I pray you do that for us individually. Is not take away our light, our influence. God, we come humbling ourselves before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning? And I would ask you at the Spirit's call, you come, kneel here, pray, seek the Lord, repent of your sin.